Before we get started in this episode, a quick announcement. As you know, I'm very passionate about acceptance and commitment therapy, and I also run a busy practice in Canberra. We're currently looking for psychologists who are registered in Australia to join our team, who are also passionate about learning about ACT. We provide supervision on a group and individual basis and training around ACT. So if this is you, if you're interested, please express your interest at strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers. Look forward to hearing from you. And now back to this episode. Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name is Nesh Nikolic and today's guest is Lynn Worsley. She is a clinical psychologist and nurse who has a great and long history and interest in resilience. I've had numerous guests on the podcast talking about resilience as it's been something that I have been quite interested in and maybe that's because it's difficult to define and really understand and appreciate something that Lynn has brought to the table in this episode and it's been really enjoyable for me is a simplistic version of not only understanding resilience but also how to apply uh, practicing and developing resilience in a way that I haven't heard before something that I think is a real important takeaway for all listeners is either how to apply this for yourself or if you're a clinician, how to discuss resilience with your clients. So without further ado, please welcome Lynn Worsley. Lynn Worsley, thank you very much for coming onto the show. I'm excited to hear a lot about uh, the different hats that you're wearing. I know that obviously you're a psychologist, clinical psychologist, a nurse, a human, grandparents, uh, lots of different hats. Uh, and obviously one of your passions being resilience. And, and I know that you have a program and, and, and a uh, business in which you look at the resilience donuts, which I'm excited to explore some, some further. Uh, so yeah, welcome to the show and, and appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. Let's let's um uh, maybe let's start with how you got into uh, this resilience space because I know you've got a number of different hats and I'm always intrigued about you know, how do we find our place you know with a little passion how did we get there what is it that that jumped out of because obviously you've got a ton of experience and you know I'm I'm always interested in in finding out a bit about the person. Thank you. Um, I guess the beginning of my journey into this space was um, working as a youth worker uh, in a drop-in centre um, in the 70s, um, the late 70s, just like to say, not that old, it's just the late, late 70s. But in the late 70s, my husband and I were as part of a team, a drop-in centre, and we formed together with a number of other people um, voluntarily a team for kids who were on the streets. Um, there wasn't anything in the area that we were, we were living at the time um, and there was a real need for kids to just have something to do um, and just to connect to good adults. Um, and so we formed this um, drop-in centre. It was called The Centre. And in The Centre, we got ourselves trained up in, um, with Fusion Australia and uh, Fusion 
gave us lots and lots of background in different psychologies. It was almost like a smorgasbord of psychology put into the blender. Um, so it was very interesting <laughs> at this stage. And I hadn't done any psychology training at that point. Um, and I was just starting, oh, I was in my nursing training at the time. And so we ran the centre. And in the centre, we had kids who um, were from all walks of life that, you know, the kids would come and just hang out, play volleyball. We'd go motorbike riding. We'd surf um, a couple of times a week. Um, and we'd just load up the cars and um, and didn't know who we had. Like, you know, it was those days where we didn't really have to have permission notes and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it was gold. We had fantastic relationships. But we worked out, too, that the wonderful, the best thing to do was to... Um, was not to talk about the problems that they were going through or the difficulties and why they were on the street. What we did was sit on the gutters and just talk to them about what was working. Or we'd get out our skateboard and work out what was working there. We'd take out a motorbike and pull that apart, put that back together again and talk about how that was working. And over time, the conversations came around to the things that they could do rather than the things that they couldn't. Um, so when, when I finished my nursing training, I... Um, I also um, absolutely adored working in as a nurse. I loved um, accident and emergency. I really, really loved working with children. I was particularly gifted with children and young people. Um, and I really enjoyed the mental health space. And so the centre sort of did that for us. It gave me that sort of combination of all of those things. Then, of course, I had children. Um, and when my, young, my oldest child started smoking there, her um, crayons in a certain way, it sort of started to think that maybe I shouldn't be um, uh, working in that space with her on my side. So I pulled it out and we just started um, working in the early childhood space. Um, during that time in early childhood, um, I opened a, uh, with a group of other people, so it wasn't just me, uh, neighbourhood centre and childcare child centres um, that were really based on community involvement in the similar way that we had done the centre. So community was our big thing um, and particularly uh, in empowering the people who were new to the, the area of, of parenting in learning from each other. So we had playgroups and community centres and we had the family daycare and the family childcare and the family community centre, which wasn't childcare. So that space was just gold. And we saw many kids flourish and parents flourish and got some really good friends still from that space. Uh, and then um, after a number of years working in the early childhood and um, child education space, I decided I'd go and do some study. So I studied early childhood education. Um, when I finished nursing, I thought I'll just add on to nursing because I loved paediatrics. Um, so I did more childhood, child development, um, and then thought, oh, I'll just tap into a little bit of psychology. And up to then, I'd been pretty average, just above average student. I did work, um, but I didn't, I didn't sort of dive into it. And I chose a psychology subject and for the first time in my life got an A and then did another psychology and then subject and got an A and then kept going and started getting a really high GPA and then thought, 
oh, what, what if I do an honours degree? And so I did an honours degree in psychology and then, of course, did a master's and now going into PhD. It was just an area that just went, oh, I love this. I love the study of psych. I love the study of normal curve and looking at where people might be. I really love the stats. And so it was a really wonderful thing for me. Um, but while I studied, I had three children. I did some part-time work in TAFE, New South Wales, looking out for children in um, looking at early childhood trainers and working at child development, worked in the prisons, um, kept working in, um, in the area of bringing people together around raising children and really felt you know, that whole notion of, of you know, we, it takes a village to raise a child was really what drove a lot of my staff. Um, but what also happened over that period of time is that the young people that we were seeing in the centre were starting to come back and visit me in, as a psychologist. And they'd come back in with their kids. So they'd had children, um, they came back, and these are these beautiful beautiful young people who said what made the difference to us was you it wasn't me per se it was the center it was was that we were there talking about life sharing our stories musing about what made us tick thinking about the dilemmas of life having times where we just sit around the the fireplace and just talk about anything but made of, of depth and, she, and, you know, there were probably about five that came back um, and just said, it was you, you guys. And it was just that ability to be having a contrast with somebody that was not our family or our parents or our sisters and brothers. Um, it was you. And so that just like, oh, it takes a lot more, doesn't it, than just good parenting. It takes just a lot more than being a good teacher and having a good teacher and having money and opportunity takes a lot more to make somebody resilient. And so that's where I started studying resilience. When I started studying resilience, I discovered that I'd been working in the area of resilience from the moment that I started working. So I didn't really need to study. I didn't need to be told to suck eggs, but it just gave a formal um, underpinning of what I was doing. Long answer to that question, Mesh. No, thank you. Thank you. I think it really does set a stage and a platform of how the resilience donuts and, and your work has come about. It's it's it hasn't been a it's not a standalone um, uh, piece of work. This is something that's evolved and you know, in many ways started without you knowing also that that there was there was always an intersection occurring. But it was though it was that real moment towards the end where some of those pieces starting to started to come together. Uh, can we can we segue a little bit to what resilience uh, is? In in many way, that story does say you know, uh, how many different layers of the onion that that, that add together to build um, what we might call resilience. But I'd, I'd like to hear from you what what um, you know, uh, what way in which you might define resilience? Okay, so if I define resilience, I think about it as being an interaction of 
a number of different factors. Um, that this, I think it's the interaction of three things. That it's the interaction of the people around you as a, as a child or as an adult. It's the people around you or the resources around you, you know, your work, your skills and various people or resources that are in your life. And the interaction of those resources with your level of competence. And so your level of competence is often regarded as, you know, you could have a skill or something and have a level of competence with that, which gives you a boost. But it could be, it could also be a level of competence in terms of your social skills, your ability to engage with people. And in the resilience research, they talk about navigation and negotiation, navigating and negotiating with those resources um, in a way that sort of builds your competence and probably builds the resources competence in the process as well. So it's very much an interaction. And so we could spend our time just talking about how to do that. But resilience really comes when you, you know, when the rubber hits the road, where you really, really have to use all your skills and your resources at the same time, and you sharpen up those navigation and negotiation skills. So the third part is going through adversity. So it's, you know, resources, competence, and adversity, and putting those three together develops the process of resilience. And the other aspect of resilience that I just really am passionate about is that it's a process, it's not an end point. So you're not born resilient, you're not going to do this and become resilient, you don't go, don't go to a resilience course to build your resilience so that you become resilient. It's a, an ongoing life process. And we have to have um, resources around us to navigate and negotiate with in order to build our resilience in any time and space that we're in throughout our life journey. But we don't get to a point and then a point and go, oh, you know, I'm resilient. I'll make it, you know, I don't need to do anything more. So. That's a really beautiful way of defining uh, resilience or oh, understanding you. resilience. I think those three factors are so entwined and, and, and I can really relate to each each one of those. You know, in particular, I think, you know, that, that last one where the rubber hits the road, so to speak, you know, having adversity uh, in, in, in many ways, uh, that is, I suppose, what gives us the confidence that the first two are there. Uh, that that there are resources, and if not, I can find them. I've got the skill set to to negotiate that, or or to you know find them, um, and 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 it almost takes a full circle at that point, and and gives gives the person a sense of security, uh, even though they don't know what's what's around the corner. There might be a reasonable understanding that whatever is around the corner. I'll be able to manage. Um, I've got I've got prior evidence for that. Uh, so how, how is it that um, uh, uh, one would go about trying to integrate these into their life as a process? Because as you say, this isn't a, you know you read a good book and all of a sudden you know uh, you've you've reached you know 80 percent resilience and then you need to do something else you get to 90 and you know how, how do we go about thinking about resilience and, and and 
instilling that in whether it's in ourselves or whether it's instilling it in our children um, and supporting friends to to um, yeah, build that confidence in themselves as well. Uh, how how would you describe um, uh, approaches around that? Is that something that we just have conversation over, like in you know the center where we look at life and that that, that good strong social network? Is there something a bit more formal? Uh, I mean, obviously, life I think over time does give us more opportunities to have adversity and have to overcome those. Um, you know, is, is it in a, is it in a strengths-based approach? But I'd like, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay. Thank you. Um, I think that's where I've been musing that question. I've had that for, in my head for a very long time um, and particularly working in the center and in nursing and, you know, working in early childhood and so on. And, um, and looking at people in the working with people in the prisons was sort of where it was a bit of a turning point for me. Um, at any time in your life where you are isolated from other people and your resources, you plummet. Um, at any time in your life where there's a disconnect between your resources and other, you know, and your connections. You plummet. So, you know, during the pandemic, we've seen many, many people plummet. Um, we've, we've got a what, what is regarded as mental health crisis, although I'm a bit sceptical of that whole term um, because I think what we've got is a massive disconnect of many people who have lost their connections that they would have had that built them up over time. So what I've researched, you know, and I've gone right back to looking at empirical research on look at what, what are the multiple pathways that people manage to build their resilience um, when the rubber hits the road. And what we've come up with is this donut model. And the donut model is um, shape of a donut. The person's in the middle and the donut flesh is on the outside so it's two two circles um, and when we've looked at what it is it's about having multiple factors in a person's life or multiple resources that are working together are connected together at any time and there's seven so in the donut it says there's seven factors outside and the outside ring and inside we have this sort of I have people to help me or resources to help me and I, I can do that something about my circumstances and I'm a nice person so we put in the middle I have I am and I can and those I have I am and I can phrases that we carry in our brains um, come from those seven different areas of our life and so the way that we've worked that is to think through you know well, can you just manage to pivot off one of those resources and cope? And, yeah, that, it does okay. Can we do two? You know, is, is two enough to help people to build enough resilience to cope with some adversity? Yeah, two is pretty good. But once it hits three or more factors at one time, um, you end up with this sort of curve that does a quick jump and the curve that does a quick jump then goes, oh, my goodness, you know, they're really, their scores on resilience have come up really high. So that we've concentrated on this whole looking for three things that are working 
three resources that are strong, three resources that, when I say strong, that, are, that have a sufficient conflict, conflict and tension, sufficient conflict and tension to enable um, new skills and navigation and, and negotiation skills to happen. So some of those factors are, um, you know, if it's a child, um, the parent skill, or the parent factor. If it's an adult, it's the partner factor. And not everyone has good parents, not everyone has good partners, so or partners at all. So we move on to another factor. And so the next one is be like a skill, something that you're good at, something you can actually not so much good at, but you keep trying and you keep getting up and going on again. Um, the next one would be a family. So it might be aunties and uncles and cousins or the wider family or the mob. Um, the next one would be the education. So looking at a school teacher or somebody within the school or a school environment or an education environment that helps you to learn. Um, the next one, again, is the peer factor. So friendships. And it's, it's often about those friendships that go, oh, come on, Lynn, pull your finger out, you know, or stop whinging or, you know, or I'm going to have an argument with you and really sharpen up your skills and you feel a bit affronted, but you end up changing your behaviour. Now, while that feels like it's not strong, it's actually a good enough friendships that enable you to become a better person. And that goes in all of them. This, you know, the, what is the strength in, in that sort of level of conflict that gives you, um, that sharpens your tool. <laughs> um, the next one we talk about is community. And in the community, you have um, a faith, a moral a moral compass, because quite often in a community, there is uh, communities that are put together by faith groups. And in that, we see people who are really connected to their communities really flourish because of that. Um, then there is the, the money factor, the finances. And initially, when they researched all of this, they sort of thought, oh, rich kids will have more opportunities um, and so on. But when you look at the resilience research, those children who were brought up in wealthy families are not, not all that resilient. Um, they don't seem to have that efficacy, almost like that sense of, you know, somebody else will do it for me or I'll just buy another one. Um, whereas the ones who were seeming to be able to manage when the rubber hits the road are more resourceful because they haven't had that level of finances. So when we talk about money factor or the work factor, it's about that sense of hard work or, you know, doing what you can to, to build your resources with what you've got. So what we do when we've looked at those resources and those things in the model, um, we start looking about where, where the strengths are, you know, what, what's working well. And for somebody who hasn't got a lot of those factors going well, often find you'll, you'll often find that they're struggling, that their mental health is, is, is plummeting. Um, and like I said before, anytime we take someone away from where they're going to navigate and negotiate, um, you'll find that they'll lose the plot. I like this concept of there being tension in those seven areas or even within the three primary factors uh, because it, it, it almost speaks to that if someone has great finances, for example, there might not be enough tension in there. 
if someone has very low uh, um, resources financially, there might be too greater tension, and you know, that 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 could um, undermine other other factors as well. And if there's a right amount of tension, it it almost fertilizes or, or creates the environment for someone to have that adversity, that hardship, but still able to negotiate um, uh, about how to get a, an outcome, maybe juggling some other factors as well. But there's almost like a, it's, it sounds like, and I hope I'm, I'm, I'm getting this correct, it sounds like there, there is a sweet spot. Not that we're necessarily aiming for that because that, that, that's probably unhelpful as well. Um, but th- there is a bit of a sweet spot when, when uh, those um, tensions align or, or get to a certain level. We, we tend to grow more or that's where we feel accomplishment or uh, a confidence that comes out from that. Is that. Am I kind of capturing that? Yeah, I think that you're capturing that very well. And I think when we think about that um, level of tension that comes along with, um, uh, you know, in each of the factors, and each of the factors uh, have that that pull. Um, I, I, I love the term tension because what we what we know um, from some of the researchers, Michael Unger, who is, you know, a good friend and also a, a very, very good researcher, talks about um, having tensions that keep us well. Um, uh, you know, if things come too easy, we don't develop the skills that we need. And if you go to the gym and, you you know, you only have to do three repetitions on, on no weights, well, you're not going to build any skill, any, any muscle. And it's the same thing is that when we've had um, enough tension, we're going to actually become quite... Um, quite strong and so that means too when we're thinking about um, the the child as they develop we start seeing um, tension as being an opportunity we start seeing situations of bullying I hate using the b word because I find that you know like come on this is the child is in a relationship with somebody who else is who is the child is also working out how to navigate and negotiate the world. And, um, and it's not going to feel good, but in that they can learn compassion, in that they understand um, what it feels like to abuse power um, and have a reflection point around that. And so there's this sense of, of not necessarily leaving them to it, but seeing it as an opportunity for growth to see that tension rather than rescuing a child and taking them away from the situation where they're not going to learn how to manage someone difficult into the future. So we, we talk a lot about um, taking advantage of adversity as it comes our way. Um, and, you know, thinking about the pandemic, the adversity there is a worldwide level of adversity, but some people seem to flourish in lockdown. Others don't seem to flourish in lockdown. And so those who seem to flourish, when you actually unpack that, they're locked down with their family. They can work at home with their, with, with their work. Um, they are able to go out and do some exercise. They are able to connect with other people. Um, 
in a different sort of a way. They really quite enjoy the whole Zoom process. And those are the people who are flourishing. Those people who are struggling are disconnected from the people that they didn't realise were giving them a boost, that were causing some sort of level of tension that made it so that they could, um, uh, you know, sharpen up some of their skills. Um, and so I think what we need is to have an awareness that when we see tension and difficulties coming our way in each of our resources, it's not that this resource has become weak, it's resource has become strong enough to manage some more tension. Mm. Um, I've got enough social skills now to manage my parent difficulties. I can actually have more conflict with my parents because now I'm starting to stand up for myself and I'm developing as a person, so that's helpful. Really elegant that in 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 what I'm taking away is, is is that sometimes potentially what we're doing is looking at the world in kind of like a harming way rather than an opportunity way. And that sometimes what we do is intervene so early that we remove the opportunity of adversity, like in the bullying scenario. I was as you were talking, I was reflecting on my daughters. Uh, who are quite young and uh, at least for a stage I remember the eldest was um, probably more uh, was less equipped to deal with social tension and so when the younger one would um, let's say argue with her or or take something from her uh, even though she was elder uh, and, and stronger or you know the younger might even hit her uh, she would run off crying and she didn't have any skills. She didn't know how to deal with that. And I, I remember assisting her with asking about, you know, what could you do um, you know, that, that you know, maybe brings a bit, a bit of your power back um, because she, she didn't understand that there was a power problem there. You know, she was just, you know, lost the fight, so to speak. Uh, and even with a few little skills about, you know, that she can, um, stick up for herself uh, you know it, it, it did give her more negotiation power I didn't realize I was doing these things but you know in this sort of context um, she started to negotiate the world and you know she's going to need lots of that context um, uh, because you know in life she's going to be uh, uh, you know air quotes you know bullied or maybe she'll just meet people um, in life who've got different opinions or um different agendas to hers and they might be stronger in the way that they negotiate. I, I, I love the term negotiate and navigate. Mm. Um, and I, I had a, I've got a very close friend and colleague and I was staying at her place when they were uh, living overseas and um, the kids were fighting, they were arguing like crazy and you could hear this squeal and she just didn't budge. She's just sitting there chatting to me and I thought, oh, okay, must be okay one of them came down and was crying and she said um you know someone has taken my ball or doing all of this stuff and she just looked at and she goes so did you negotiate no they couldn't well you better go and try and just left them and I thought wow and they did the, the negotiating got very loud um but they came back with the sense of well I did try but it didn't work. Oh, well, you'll have to try something different next time, which was really interesting. Now, looking at fast forward, those kids 
are very good at negotiating and navigating. And of course, we navigate and negotiate with our siblings a lot when we're kids um, or our neighbourhood kids that we play with. And so that, that fighting back and forward is often um, a training ground to enable us to be able to work out how to do that navigation negotiation. Um, and I often come back to, um, you know, thinking about, um, you know, programs or in, interventions that we can put in for kids um, when they're struggling and adults, definitely with adults, um, you know, particularly when an adult has got quite a severe mental health condition and, um, what happens then is that that sort of often means that they pull back from the world or the world pulls back from them. And so they haven't got the people to navigate and negotiate with, except for mental health professionals, which really we don't cut it. We just don't cut it. What they need are people in their world who are going to lean in and navigate and negotiate with them. Um, and so, uh, you know, oftentimes we think about interventions, interventions uh, and not about, you know, learning a skill and pushing buttons on the computer to, to get that skill and, you know, ticking our um, cognitive um, reprisals and we're learning about all of these things. It's not, not about that. What it is about is how you navigate and negotiate with the people around you. And the very best we can do with people for interventions is help other people to lean in and to skill those other people up so that they know not to pull away and be frightened. And they know not to leave it all to the professionals because the professionals are only there for a couple of hours a week and they don't get that navigation and negotiation um, skills um, or they can't trial them. They don't have that level of tension that enables them to um, have a sense of people being in on their team. Um, you know, we, there's, that's one of the reasons why I think some of the dialectical behaviour therapy groups seem to work, not so much of what they're teaching and how they're teaching it, it's the fact that it's putting people into a group where they are going to have to navigate and negotiate with people around them. And they're seeing them quite regularly and they're having connections with those people three or four times a week. But what we're finding in our practice is that um, what's really helpful is that while people are going through these intervention groups is that we get those people who love them the most or invested with them the most to also be in a support group to teach them how to lean in, not understand the principles or learn about the disorder. That's not helpful. What's helpful is that how do we go in and navigate and negotiate with this young person? How do we help ourselves to become more invested, but more effective? And so um, working with people to take opportunities is not telling them how to suck eggs. It's actually working with others around them to enable them to lean in. So that means making doing something in the community, um, setting up uh, projects, where there might be three factors in their donut all working at the same time. We call them donut moments, you know, having a project of a donut moment. And I've been, I've been known to prescribe donut moments as opposed to prescribing medication. 
You know, there are people who need to have the medication, absolutely. But let's just try a week of donut moments and see what happens. Can you describe what you mean by donut moment, how that sort of interaction, how that plays out? Okay, so go back to what I said earlier about us working in the centre um, and had a team of people working in the centre. It wasn't just me. Um, and the kids used to come in and they'd play volleyball and they'd be there with a couple of their mates. So just that itself. We've got a community. That's one of the factors. We're playing volleyball. That's a skill. And they've got their peers, their friends. And that is a donut moment. It's three factors all at the one time colliding in an activity or a project. Another donut moment would, would have been the kids would turn up, you know, five o'clock in the morning to go surfing. Um, so they'd be there with some community people, which were the volunteers, um, myself included. They'd have their surfboard under their arm, popping it on the surfboard or throwing it in the back of the wagon. There was, you know, that was the second one and then going, going surfing. And the third one is that they were there with friends. Invariably, they'd turn up with a mate. And so that was three again. And in that time when we're doing a donut moment, there's conflict because we're trying to catch a wave, there's conflict because we have to be up at five o'clock or that they won't wait for you. There's conflict because your mate turned up and he didn't have a board, so you have to share that board and you don't really want to. Um, and, there's, and sometimes you get all the way out and you're so exhausted that you can't catch the waves. So you're tired. And in that time, we're bobbing around with other people like myself who are sitting there chatting, talking about the waves, talking about what you can do. And you have these conversations at the end, which then build up a sense of like, I, I can do this. I have tried this before. I am a good person. They seem to like me. And that will then flow, flow on to the other factors in your life. We saw kids flourishing more at school, but we weren't actually working well with them at school. We saw their relationships with their parents in, increase. We weren't working with their parents at all. We were doing something that, that was a donut moment. We were connecting those. Now, when we work in our resilience centre, we run groups. We run groups, but that's not a donut moment. The donut moment was, it needs to be a third in there. And this is where one of the groups that we're running at the moment, we're going, well, the third one needs to be people who are most invested with them. It may not be the parents. It might be the grandparents. It might be somebody who's going to lean in and know how to handle their difficult emotions and help them to be able to navigate and negotiate. So we set up a system where there was the parents or the, the grandparents or the person who was most invested in them coming along to a group at the same time is that the kids were coming along to a group. And so that's like a donut moment in the same building and the same facility. We're all learning this together. And when we come back, it's like, oh, did you learn about this part? Did you learn about this part? Yeah, I learned about that. That doesn't really true, ring true for me. I prefer this. Oh, yeah, me too. Oh, I've tried this. And so there's this navigation and negotiation that goes on as a result of that. It's got nothing to do with us anymore. Mm -hmm. So all we're doing... Or we, we talk about activating the strengths, activating the donut, donut strengths, and by activating them, putting the three together, because remember we saw this curve happen 
one factor one at a time it doesn't do great two it's okay three all of a sudden there's a big change um, so we, we're after creating turning points or um, points where somebody's able to sort of get an aha moment of like oh okay that's working for me I can do this I can do this now so we're after having a, a change in that um, uh, um, a sense of self-efficacy and self-esteem. Um, and is, is, is this something that, in your experience, people actively go out and seek these donut moments or are these moments occurring without people's recognition and, 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 and acknowledgement and therefore maybe some of those uh, more sticky learnings don't come from that. Is, is can you say anything about about that? Because as you're talking, I I see so many. I I can see myself very quickly putting a narrative together in many instances, calling something a donut moment, but it doesn't probably necessarily have the stickiness, um, uh, or or maybe it does. Uh, what, what is it that there still needs to be that level of tension that that that, that occurs? Is, is there something that is almost like uh, the primary catalyst? So even if we get three of those things in the room, you know, does tension play that role where there's a healthy amount of negotiation or a healthy amount of tension that occurs that makes that a little bit more? takeaway for people uh can you, can you talk about that a little bit i'm not sure if i'm sort of posing the question well no i think you're posing it very well and i think i, I think i can hear your musings around that i think it's really lovely um the tensions in a donut moment are not felt as strongly because in a donut moment you're using you're tapping into the areas that are the easiest and most pleasant for you um, so having your easiest and most pleasant means that you're more likely to navigate and negotiate well and not feel the tension. But it might be that you are going through an, a particular adversity. You know, say you've lost a loved one and, and your closest people come and connect with you and take you for a surf um, or take you for a motorbike ride, or take you for a long push bike ride, um, and or or do something with that with you that makes you feel like it's sort of a bit more normal, and that becomes a less tense environment. It's almost away from the problem. You know, quite often we do in a strength and solution focused approach. Say the solution to the problem has often got nothing to do with the problem. You can't bring a loved one back when you've lost somebody, but you certainly can have an, an have a situation where there is a sense of a, an easier space. And in that easier space, it's like I do have people to help me cope and I am okay and I can do things to change my circumstances. You know, I've just worked out the gym at the gym with my best mate. And, you know, I've got a few other people around there. It's just this real community at the gym. And now I can come home and I can work out a, a funeral service. 
So the tension may be in those three factors that are strong, but you don't notice them. Mm. You do them a lot easier. And so the tensions are almost like I can practice that. I know how to do that. I can go a bit harder this week because I know how to do it. And that means then I can go into the other areas and have a flow on where it's like, oh, this is hard. But you know what? I can do it. I can cope. And we've seen this time and time again with kids at schools um, who aren't coping at school. To do something outside of school, you know, skateboarding, doing things that they're able to do and feeling like they're, they're connecting with their, with their loved ones or their people that, that really care about them. And somehow they come back into the environment that's tough with a bit more of a buoyant buoyancy and then they can navigate and negotiate a little bit better. But the tensions, when you're talking about the tensions, we're not looking for unpleasant, difficult tensions. We're looking for an environment where the tensions are almost not noticed because the skills or the navigation and negotiation is most um, <clears throat> optimistically used. So it's where, you know, who are the people that are most invested in you? Who are the people that are more likely to have a sense of, um, I, uh, you know, a belief in you? Who are the people that are going to be more um, uh, likely to give you the benefit of the doubt when you have a meltdown? Mm. That's when we're talking about tensions. <clears throat> it's important to have the right family and friendships uh, or as you mentioned maybe before, uh, the right teachers or coaches, th those around you that maybe a relationship is already there, it's been forged, and so there can be a challenging of one's position, but it's not adversarial. Uh, it, it, it's you know, uh, probably much gentler and kinder and thoughtful uh, and compassionate, but it's still a challenge nonetheless. Um, and so it gets someone to rethink their position uh, maybe still hold their position, but the capacity of even being able to sit with two positions in the room rather than um, having to to you know, win win a fight, so to speak, could be hard. You know, could be a challenge in and of itself. But uh, having having that community or that space is 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 really important to foster. Whether it's skill development or whether it's learning something from an education perspective um, whether it's you know talking about one's you know, finances or or uh, you know, uh, yeah, learning interactions that skill the social you know interaction and obviously they're very different with parents friends colleagues um, and, and the like uh, but I, I think I'm I think I'm understanding that a little bit better in that that environment um, at least in the training ground so to speak uh, to set to set that up with loved ones, people who who can be considerate um, and, and 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 be thoughtful, but not necessarily just let you off the hook because you know that might be not enough not enough tension in the rope. Mm. Yeah, that's correct. And um, the way we approach the donut, <clears throat> the way we approach the donut is to um, is to in a number of ways. You know, if we're working with youth workers and psychologists and counsellors and um, school counsellors, 
um, what we do is we teach them the principles of the donut and oftentimes they can inadvertently bring in the donut three strengths in some way. And if you're a school counsellor, you can, you can work behind the scenes and talk to the teacher, their favourite teacher, and make sure that they are, the child is in the same class with some of their best friends, particularly if they're going through a particularly difficult time. Um, and so there is that sense of, of being able to make sort of donut moments occur behind the scenes. Um, but what we also do is try and teach everybody about the donut model so that people like you and I can go, I'm, I'm really, you know, this is tough. I need to set up some donut moments so I can cope. Um, I'm not going real well at the moment. Um, so I need to set up some donut moments that are, are going to connect my strengths where I've got people who I know are on my team and then I might be able to deal with my bankruptcy or I might be able to deal with my dissolving marriage. I, I need to have these other things going on that help me to cope with those things. Um, and it almost like tell me a place where I can be myself and, and hone up who I am and become myself and then I can take the real self into this environment, which is tough. Mm. Um, so it's... It's 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 an embarrassingly embarrassingly simple model, but it's a incredibly complex model as well. So that you know the complexities of of how you may be able to set up a donut moment for somebody is is quite quite deep, um, and there's measurement tools and all sorts of things with that. But the simplicity of being able to have the donut in the back of your head when you have a conversation with someone is just gold, mm. you know. Um, so, you know, we're finding it really a lovely tool to use. It might sound simple, but uh, I, I can definitely appreciate the incredible complexity because the nuances are all in that space of multiple tensions, multiple conflicts, um, you know, lots of assumptions that are built every time a donut is considered, uh, trying to... You know, look at the complexity of what is important um, for someone in, in a particular time, in a particular situation, and how they do view themselves in that particular time, where they do feel like they have competence or not. Uh, it's, it, the, the nuances are, are um, you know, ones that we'll probably ne never get to the bottom of, but there, there is a really strong framework to at least guide us uh, to to examine if we're going through a hard time where could we foster some strength and, and, and resilience from and, and to be able to navigate to be able to navigate it by seeing these uh, these um, you know, different different uh, areas is, is, is incredibly valuable and important then I know that we are a, a little bit sort of a getting short on time and you've got you've got some uh, little ones to, to, to uh, enjoy shortly can you tell us and, and, and our listeners a little bit about where they can find out more about uh, the Resilience Donuts, your work, how they can connect if they're interested, how they can do get involved in some of your training? Yeah, look, Nash, it's very easy to, to Google the Resilience Donut. It's sort of a, a term that most people remember. Um, and we have a website which talks about um, 
you know, ways, ways you can do the training. Um, we, can, we also do training in solution-focused approach as well as the Resilience Donut, and they work very nicely together. Um, uh, you, yes, go to theresiliencedonut.com.au. Um, if you also want to have a look at some of the other ways that we use the Resilience Donut, we have the Resilience Centre, which is a very big centre in Sydney, in, um, in Epping, in Sydney. Um, it's about 23 psychologists. We're all trained in solution-focused and the Resilience Donut. Um, and uh, we've, we've got interns and, um, and students who often come and work out how to do the groups and, um, and we run small groups and um, DBT groups as well as um, uh, social skills, helping people to learn how to navigate and negotiate using their donut strengths. Uh, and that's been a really, really great thing there. So you just look at um, theresiliencecentre.com.au, but you get a link between both of those, either one of those websites uh, would give you a link back and forward from each other. Uh, you can also tap into both of those to see our research. Uh, if you want to have a look at some more research on the Resilience Donut, um, there's quite a number of published articles that we've uploaded, so you can just download them directly. Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Can I ask one last question before we uh, finish up? Uh, what's next for you? You were saying that you're doing a PhD. I, I, I imagine uh, that's in line with what we've been discussing today as well. Look, been, I, I think the story of my PhD is it's sort of a lifelong thing. Um, so I'm just at the final edge um, of trying to get this um, the doctorate all finished, but um, yes, that's my next thing to finish off that. And, uh, but, you know, life is happening around me and I'm having plenty of donut moments in the meantime. So donut moments are looking way more interesting than PhD at the moment. <laughs> I should be able to finish this by in the next uh, six months. So that'd be lovely. Yeah. Definitely need a lot of resilience to to get through <laughs> through a PhD program, and I yes. I uh, can't even speak from from experience. I, I've just heard you know many and and seen the expressions on people's faces whenever they say they're doing a PhD. So certainly, uh, good luck with that. I'm sure that you'll uh, use many many more donut moments to to get through that, and uh, you know maybe a congratulations in advance. I'm sure. Sure, that'll that'll come over. Yeah, not 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 too far um, now. So, um, all the best with the rest of that too. Thank you so much, Nesh. Thanks, Lynn. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review. Subscribe, share it via social media, and tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources and just lastly if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team develop your experience and get into some exciting work come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out i'd love to hear from you